Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. In the final sermon of the series, Pastor Rob explores 1 Peter 5, in which God calls us to stand firm, knowing He is in charge. Let's listen now. Let's pray together. Gracious God, you know that we live in a post-Christian and a non-Christian world. And Father, we, we know that you know what it's like to be in this world, and, and we seek in this world to bring you honor and glory, to live for you. And so, Father, we pray, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today as we wrap up our series on 1 Peter, we are asking the question, what do we need to navigate the post-Christian world together? What do we need to navigate the post-Christian world together? Because we learn through history that having the right people and the right stuff makes all the difference when you're in a dangerous situation. We, we see that in the life and the career of Roald Amundsen, a Norwegian explorer who was out earlier in the 1900s to make a name for himself. Amundsen decided to lead an expedition to the South Pole to be the first person to plant a flag on the South Pole. Amundsen set out in 1911, right before the British sent a team as well. Amundsen set out with, a, with all the right gear. He had a ship that was built for navigating through icy waters. He had all the polar gear that he could get. He had special custom-made boots for every member of his team. They had special tents with a bottom on it to protect them from the polar cold in those tents. They had a hundred sled dogs. Amundsen's Norwegian team set out with absolutely everything that they could need. He also set out with the right people on his team. Amundsen's team was populated with experienced explorers. He had a person who even knew how to cook to provide nutrition for a team in a polar environment. He had people who were trained in working with sled dogs. He even had naval gunners on his team. He reached the, the Antarctic uh, continent. He set up camp and then in October of 1911, he set out on the final push to the South Pole. The temperatures were absolutely frigid. In order to get to the South Pole from their base camp, they had to climb up an entire range of mountains to get on top of a glacier to make their final reach for the South Pole. Then on December 14, 1911, the Norwegian team under Amundsen made it to the South Pole. They put up a tent to mark the location, and then they started the trek back. They reached their base camp by January of 1912, 2,000 miles on this journey, but they made it. The British team made it later to the South Pole, but they didn't make it back. Why? Because having the right gear and the right people on your team makes 
all of the difference. It makes the difference between success and failure. It can't even make the difference between life and death in a dangerous situation. Now, what do we learn from that? We learn that we need the right people on our team when we're in a dangerous situation. And when you think about it, the post-Christian world in some ways is an increasingly dangerous situation. Now, what do I mean by post-Christian world? By post-Christian world, I mean simply that at one time in the West, in Western Europe and in North America, Christians were in the majority. And that meant when we were in the majority, we set the norms of what people were expected to believe and the way people were expected to behave. But now that's not the case. Christians are not in the majority. And other philosophies set the norms, if you will, for what people are to believe and how people are to behave. Christians, on the other hand, are, are sometimes considered dangerous and wrong, even evil for the things that we believe and the things that we do and say at times. And there are times when we face for doing the things that we do and believing and saying the things that we say, pressure, pressure to conform, pressure to stop doing what we're doing and stop thinking and saying what we're thinking and saying. We can experience sanctions for the things that we believe and, and say and do. And so the post-Christian world is in some ways becoming an increasingly dangerous place. And First Peter tells us that when we live in a post-Christian or a non-Christian context, we really need one another. That's what Roald Amundsen is demonstrating for us, that when we are in a dangerous situation, having the right people on our team is critically important. And Peter is arguing that we have always needed one another in the church. But when you're in danger, you need one another more than ever. And so today we're asking the question, what do we need in order to navigate the post-Christian world together. And as we look at 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to find Peter suggesting three things that we very much need if we're going to navigate the post-Christian world together. The first thing that he suggests to us at the beginning of chapter 5 is leaders. We need good leaders. And Peter talks about the need for good leaders and good leadership in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 which reads, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So now Peter is writing to the elders. Now, who are these elders to whom he writes? Well, first of all, he's not just writing to older people in the churches. In some ways, he's writing to the people who hold an office in the church. In the first century, as apostles founded new churches, they would frequently go back to those churches and identify in them 
the people who were showing leadership, and they would call them elders, they would place their hands on them, and they would transfer to them authorization to lead and some sense of spiritual authority. Peter says, there are elders in your midst, and he says, I myself am an elder. It is a kind of office in the first century. And yet, at the same time, it is something that that happens because of the spiritual maturity that a person has. An elder is one who has achieved a certain level of spiritual maturity, partly through time, through aging, through having been a disciple of Jesus for a period of time, and, and through learning what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And the church then recognizes that spiritual maturity and says, we want you to lead us. So the elders are the leaders in the churches. Now, here's the thing about the world that we live in now. We, we don't trust leaders, particularly we don't trust leaders in churches. We've seen too many leaders in too many churches fall morally and do things that, that, that mean that they've lost sight of what it means to be a leader. We've watched as in the Catholic Church, leaders of the Catholic Church have abused sexually members of their congregations, particularly young boys. And we have watched as the hierarchy of the church has, has covered up that behavior. But this isn't limited to the Catholic Church. Protestants have, have their own problems with church leaders. We have too often seen church leaders in the Protestant world fall morally or embezzle funds. If you've been paying attention to headlines, you've seen over the not-too-recent past that uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the country, has has been demonstrated that, that some of their senior leaders were covering up the abuse and, and, and harassment of women by other leaders in the church. Now, when we see all these kind of things happening in the headlines, it causes us to not trust our leaders. We, we have a hard time trusting church leaders. You know that. I know that. I know that sitting out there today, a, a good number of you are looking at me and going, when's it going to be you, buddy? <laughs> Got my eyes on you. Trust you about this far. But Peter says that's not what we need from our leaders at all. We need Good leaders we can follow if we are going to navigate the post-Christian world together. And he tells leaders, he says, know your job. Look at what he says the job of the elder is in verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock of God. That's the job of a church leader. And he's drawing a picture from the world around him. What do shepherds do with their sheep? They guide them. They provide for them. They protect them. And Peter is saying, hey, that's the job that you have as a leader in the church. For the people under your leadership, your job is to guide them, to provide for them, to protect them. And really, we as leaders in the church go wrong when we forget what the job is and we start doing some other job for some other reason. Peter says, know the job. We need good leaders. Leaders know the job. He goes on to add that when you are considering being a church leader, you should be eager, but not too eager. He says you should 
not be too eager to get out in front and to lead. You should particularly not want to be the center of attention or in the spotlight for the wrong reasons, because you love the spotlight or because it feeds your ego. You should be eager, but not too eager. At the same time, he recognizes that while not every person may want to step forward and lead, the call of God comes into people's lives. And when the call of God and the call of the church comes into a person's life, it's important that those recognized by the church are willing and available to lead, willing and available to say yes. Be eager, but not too eager. I've started to learn a little bit about what this rhythm looks like in parenting of adult children. I'm not parenting young children anymore. Both of my children are now adults, and parenting them is an entirely different thing to do. Now, I don't have to do things like feed them and change their diapers anymore, which is great. But at the same time, I can't put them in time out, which is a problem. <laughs> and so, Parenting adult children calls for a new rhythm. You can't abandon adult children. They still need their parents. But at the same time, you are not welcome to press in too hard into the child's life. There's something about church leadership to learn in that balance. You're, you're needed, but don't press in too hard. I learned a little bit about it in a conversation I had with one of my sons while they were with us for Christmas. We were processing a question and an issue together, and it seemed to be one of those great places where my, my son needed my advice. And so I willingly stepped into the gap to provide my advice and to explain the situation to him. And eventually, I, I realized that he had glazed over. And I asked, have I gone to dad-splaining? That's like mansplaining on steroids. Have I been dad-splaining this to you? And and, and he just smiled, and he said, yeah, maybe a little. So it was time to back away. And that rhythm of parenting adult children, we have to be eager, but not too eager, is what Peter is telling us in being willing to lead. Be eager, but not too eager. We need good leaders who understand the difference. And Peter also says we need good leaders who understand who Jesus is. He is our boss. He is our model. He is our reward. Jesus, you see, is the chief shepherd, according to Peter. And for Jesus to be the chief shepherd means that he is the one in charge. He's the one to whom we all belong. He is the one to whom we are all sheep. He's the one guiding, providing, and protecting us all ultimately. For church leaders, that means he becomes the model. He's the chief shepherd, and church leaders are the under-shepherds, learning from Jesus how to do the job of shepherding God's people. But not only that, Jesus is not just the boss and the model. He is the reward, meaning that Jesus is watching leaders carefully to see what they, what we do in the church and he's expecting us to do our job faithfully. And when we do, Jesus gives us a crown of glory for it. We need good leaders if we're going to navigate the post-Christian world together. 
Peter goes on to say, though, that we need not just good leaders, but we need humility as well. And he covers this in verses 5 through 7, where he talks about our need for good, lead, uh, good for humility and why we need that kind of humility. He goes on to write, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Now, Peter is reminding us once again that it's not just the skills of the people on our team, but the attitude, the values of the people around us that matter. And that actually came out in Amundsen's expedition to the South Pole. You see, he had multiple team members. One of them was another explorer, Helmar Johnson, Johansson. And Johansson was on the team. He was, he was an experienced explorer himself. He'd been on multiple expeditions, but expeditions were on, on, the, on, the, on the low end in the early 1900s. Many of the places that needed to be explored had already been explored. And so Johansson was spending a period of time with no expeditions to be on, and frankly, he got lost. And in his lostness and not knowing what to do, he turned to alcohol, and he became violent, and he became depressed. One of the sponsors of Amundsen's expedition believed that all Johansson needed was another challenge in front of him, and he would write himself. And so Amundsen took Johansson on the expedition to the South Pole. In September of 1911, before they set out on their final push to the South Pole in October, they set out on a failed bid for the South Pole. They headed out into the darkness and into the cold, and it was so dark and it was so cold in September that the dogs were freezing, and, and they had to return to camp. We don't know what happened out in the dark and in the cold exactly. All we know is that Amundsen wrote about Johansson that out in the dark, he had become violently insubordinate. We don't know what happened out in the dark, but we kind of know what happened out in the dark. And when Amundsen set out on the successful bid for the South Pole in October, he left Johansson behind in camp. Because who you have on your team, their skills and their attitude, makes a tremendous difference when you're in dangerous circumstances. And now, Peter goes to address the attitude that we have with one another as we're navigating the post-Christian world. He begins by speaking to you who are younger. When he speaks to you who are younger, to whom is he speaking? Now, of course, he's speaking to anyone who's on the younger side of the congregation, but at the same time, he's speaking to anyone who is not in the position of elder, who's not reached that level of spiritual maturity, and in so doing, he's really addressing all of us. And he's saying to all of us, we all need an attitude of humility. He says that explicitly. Now, what does an attitude of humility look like? 
He says, for you who are younger, it looks like submitting to the elders, to the leaders of the church. Let the leaders lead, and you follow. But beyond that, the humility that he's calling out for us to have with one another is is an attitude that is difficult to have, and it's difficult to describe. Sometimes it's best described in what it's not. And in it's what it's notness, it is very much like love. What is humility? It's not. It's not arrogant. It's not proud. It's not self-seeking. It's not selfish. Then what is humility? Humility is the ability to put you, your interests, and your opinions above my own. And Peter says we need an attitude of humility with one another if we're going to navigate the post-Christian world together. Now, humility, Peter reminds us, is closely linked with and built off of our trust in God. Because Peter goes on to say that, that we recognize we're going to trust in someone. We're going to trust in ourselves or we're going to trust in God. When we trust in ourselves, we're responsible for everything on our own. We're taking care of business all on our own. And when we trust in ourselves, Peter says, that leads to anxiety. It leads to fear. You're going to be trying to take care of everything yourself. Well, you're going to be filled with anxiety all the time because you are responsible for you, you and you alone. And he says, boy, there's a much better way. And it's the way of trusting in God. Because when we trust in God, we're able to hand him our anxieties. We trust him. We hand him our anxieties and our fear. We trust that he will deal with them. And those anxieties begin to go away. And trusting in him, we can humble ourselves before him and say, God, you are in charge. You're the one with the power. You're the one with the glory. I trust you. You're the one who is in charge and will take care of business. I humble myself before you. And when I trust God and humble myself before him, then it's a whole lot easier to humble myself with everyone else around me. When there is no humility, we cannot navigate the post-Christian world together. When there is no humility, we're going to navigate this post-Christian world alone. And so what do we need to navigate the post-Christian world together? We need humility with one another. We need good leaders. We need humility. And third, Peter says that we need clear thinking and vigilance. He talks about what clear thinking and vigilance look like in verses 8 and 9, and then he tells us why we must have those things. He goes on, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And so, when he says be sober-minded, what he means is to be clear in thinking. When we hear sober-minded, we get the beginning of it. We recognize that our minds are not to be clouded by alcohol that leads to drunkenness. We can't think clearly when we're drunk. He says, don't do that. But to be sober-minded means more than to have our bodies free from being drunk. It, It means that we are to be free of any kind of substance that would cloud our thinking. Those are the things that we introduce to our bodies that cloud our thinking. 
But Peter also knows that our thinking can be clouded because of what's going on inside. We get angry, we're not thinking clearly. We get proud, we're not thinking clearly. We get prejudiced, we're not thinking clearly. And Peter says, you need to be thinking clearly right now. And then he goes on to say, you must be vigilant. He says that that you must be watchful. And what he's referring to is having the attitude of expecting that someone is going to come and rob your home tonight. It's very similar to something that Jesus says about how we are to be watchful, expecting Jesus' return. But here Peter's not telling us to be watchful, expecting Jesus' return. We are to be watchful for something else. What? Why must we be watchful? He says, you must be watchful because the devil is seeking to destroy you. He describes the devil as being like a a lion that's prowling around the, the pack that is the church, and the devil is looking for one who is not thinking clearly, who is not watchful, who is not together with everyone else, someone who is alone, who is confused, so who is unaware, and, and the devil will pounce on that one to destroy that one. Because you see, Peter understands that the devil is the one who is opposed to God, and the devil cannot harm God, and so the devil comes after God's people, after you and me. Peter also recognizes that the devil is the one, the power behind the kingdoms of this world. And the one behind the kingdoms of this world is seeking to destroy the interests, the values, the ambassadors, the disciples in the kingdom of God. That's you. The devil is seeking to destroy you, to harm the church, to harm the kingdom of God, to harm God himself. And Peter says, to avoid that, you must be clear in your thinking. You must be vigilant and watchful. You must be together with your brothers and sisters in Christ because together, vigilant and clear-minded, you can resist the devil and stand firm when he comes for you. And he's coming for you. And what Peter is saying here reminds me that there is an old picture of the church that is very helpful for us to think of and to understand here and now. It's a picture that that was frequently used in the church of the first few centuries to describe their lives together. It's a picture of the ark, of Noah's ark. And the Christians of the first few centuries saw in that picture an image of the church in their day. The floodwaters were the dangers of the culture around them. The boat, the ark, was a provision by God, a place where they could be saved. It was on a journey from where they were to the hope and salvation that God had planned for them. Inside the ark, they were safe. Inside the ark, they were together with one another, and together they were strong and safe under God's protection. It's an important image for us to think about in the 21st century in the post-Christian world. It's not a perfect image because God doesn't long for us to be in a holy huddle where we just have one another, and the image of the ark sometimes misses the fact that God calls us to be on mission into the world. But once again, we, we are navigating a flood that at times feels dangerous. We're on a journey, 
And God is taking us to the future and to the hope and to the salvation that he has planned for us. And inside of that, we need one another. So the ark reminds us that we need to navigate the post-Christian world together. We need one another. And what do we need if we're going to navigate the post-Christian world together? We need good leaders. We need humility. We need clear thinking and vigilance. Peter then closes his book by returning to the theme that he's been hitting since the very beginning of this letter. He closes by reminding us, stand firm, because God is in charge, and I would add, even in the post-Christian world. Stand firm because God is in charge even of the post-Christian world. He reminds us of this in verses 10 through the end of the book where he writes, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings as and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so Peter tells us that God will strengthen us. God is going to strengthen us because we live in the post-Christian world, and that can be dangerous at times, and it can lead to suffering. But we are on mission to represent the interests of the kingdom of God in the kingdoms of this world. And Peter tells us, God will strengthen you for everything that you face. That's what he means in that list of things that he says that God is going to do in verse 10. He, he tells us four things. You, he will restore you, confirm you, strengthen, and establish you. There's really no functional difference between those four words. They don't stand there to remind us of four different things God is going to do. They're almost exponents to one another. God will strengthen you to the fourth power. He will give you everything you need to stand firm in the post-Christian world. And why will he do it? Why can he do it? He will do it, and he can do it, because God is victorious. As Peter has reminded us over and over again, Jesus who died to pay the price for our sin is Jesus who rose again from the dead, victorious over sin and death and evil, the one who ascended into heaven and the one who is returning to assert his lordship over all of creation. Jesus is the one, Paul reminds us, who at one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, we are reminded over and over again by Peter that one day we will be resurrected, we will be glorified, we will rule and live forever with Jesus Christ in the new heavens 
and the new earth. Jesus is victorious. God is victorious. And if God is victorious, Peter has reminded us over and over again since the beginning of this book, we can stand firm and navigate the post-Christian world. And so the call right here at the end is the same. Stand firm because God is victorious. You can navigate this post-Christian world. Navigate the post-Christian world by, by holding on to that hope that we have and the future that is provided for us in Jesus Christ. Navigate the post-Christian world with a firm understanding that our true home is in the kingdom of God and we are making our way toward it. Navigate the post-Christian world as ambassadors of Jesus Christ and of his kingdom, representing the values and the ways of that kingdom to the peoples of this world. Navigate the post-Christian world, Peter says, with respect for the people of this world. Navigate the post-Christian world to bless them, to draw the peoples of the kingdoms of this world into the kingdom of God. Navigate on course, knowing that you believe what you believe, that you are to behave as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Never waver in that conviction. And navigate the post-Christian world together with other disciples of Jesus Christ who can help you along the way. Stand firm, Peter says. In Jesus' name, stand firm. And that is how we navigate the post-Christian world. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.